start. Let's start this. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kevin Hammond. I'm joined this week by Dennis Taylor, who is, um, let's see, you've been in politics in Montana for a long time. Yeah, I first came to Montana as a VISTA volunteer in 1972, so it's been nearly 40 years of uh, being involved in Montana politics. That's awesome. So you've seen it, you've actually seen politics um, back in the good old days, back, we had our constitutional convention, and um, so that would have been happening right when you came to town, right? Exactly. The constitutional convention was over, and the voters had uh, adopted the constitution. There was the Supreme Court case, and... Uh, uh, the Constitution was affirmed, uh, and the vote of the people was supported, and it influenced me so much. It was such a wonderful Constitution that uh, I stayed, and uh, I raised my family here, and I spent almost all of my adult work life uh, in state and local government in Montana, largely. Well, very cool. So, um, let's see, you started as a VISTA volunteer, and then you did what with... Um, I know you were a city manager for a while, and so let's kind of go through your history, I guess. Well, you know, I started out uh, working as a VIST volunteer for Montana State Low Income Organization. I went to work after two years as a VISTA volunteer uh, with the State Department of Health and Environmental Sciences. Uh, I managed their um, health and environmental legislation through the legislative process. I ended up working for the legislature as a member of the Legislative uh, Council staff, now the Legislative Services Division. And so I spent um, two sessions in the 70s watching the legislature as a member of the both local government staff and also of the public health, welfare, and safety in the Senate. So in those relationships, uh, I really have seen both social services, health care, and uh, local government. My local government work ended up being what let me do my career as a, first uh, the city of Helena budget director, later the state personnel director, and then uh, I ended up uh, being a chief administrative officer in Missoula, and that led me uh, to work for Attorney General Mazurik for when he was first elected as Attorney General. I spent uh, five years working as the chief of staff for Attorney General Mazurik. So I've seen politics both as uh, an appointed official uh, and also uh, as a member of the school board where I was elected here in Helena to serve on the school board. Wow, that's impressive. So um, the, the service that you've gone through with, I'm, I'm trying to do two things, and, I'm, and they're, they're, I'm trying to not say so at the beginning of every question that I have, and I'm trying not to say um, and I'm not working. Well, that, <laughs> you know, the thing about it is, is you can just edit out the things that don't work. Oh, yeah, actually, I try not to on the show. I try to keep everything exactly as we say it. Um, with all of that public service, how... Do you approach politics these days? I mean, you were a city manager in Helena, a city manager in Eugene, Oregon, which right. I've been to. It's a lovely town. Um, and f I can't imagine five years as a city manager anywhere. What a nightmare. It's, so, a lot of, it's actually uh, quite uh, rewarding. You work with dedicated public employees, and you get to work uh, for for uh, city councils who are elected by the people, and it's sort of democracy at the grassroots level. And I actually quite enjoy being a city manager, but I also have enjoyed uh, being a retired city manager so <laughs> that I get my political voice because you work within the policy parameters of elected officials and you're decidedly nonpartisan. You're really their staff to follow their policy directives. So I'm enjoying having the opportunity for the first time maybe in 40 years to 
be more clear about the things I hope for, for Montana, for myself, for my family. And you say you're retired, but you're also on the planning board, are you not? I just got off the planning board. Ah. Right now I'm the the president of the Cooperative Health Center, which is the federally qualified health center here in town. And it's been really interesting to watch uh, our evolution towards the implementation of the Affordable Care Act and to work uh, trying to great, get greater access for people to health care, uh, people who are um, medically indigent but may be working, uh, working several jobs but do not have health care. So uh, I've seen firsthand through my work with the Cooperative Health Center people struggling with um, their ability to access health care hmm. without insurance, uh, struggling to make ends meet. Yeah, and, and it's expensive. I, <laughs> I cry every time I write that. I know. <laughs> and for people who have no health insurance, uh, it's just uh, one catastrophic event from bankruptcy. From it's, a, it's just an incredible strain on people who work uh, without coverage, and that's why I'm so hopeful that we'll get through the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, and uh, at least after 2014, there'll be something like 50,000 um, Montanans who will be able to have coverage that are currently without health care coverage. Very cool. With everything that you've done in politics, what was it like this last year? Obviously, you were part of the planning board, but you had your voice back, and uh, we had our session, <laughs> our dark, dark times. <laughs> you know, every year uh, that you work uh, uh, around the Montana legislature, people have said, oh, this is the worst session ever. But in the nearly 40 years that I've been involved in or watching the Montana legislature, this last legislative session was, in my experience, the worst legislature ever. Uh, with super majorities uh, by the Republicans and then the split within the Republican Party between the sort of the Tea Party ultra-conservative and the traditional Montana Republican conservative, uh, it was just a dismal time and people were uh, talking about legislation that uh, just I had never seen legislation uh, that was so ill-conceived. And uh, we were fortunate to have the governor in a position to veto many of the most egregious pieces of legislation. <laughs> but I'd have to say uh, that the legislature uh, has uh, not been the quality of what it had been, say, in the 70s and the 80s. Do you think that our, um, and, and we've discussed this in other shows, the uh, term limits. Do you think that that has affected us in a negative fashion at this point? It's finally you know come back to haunt us. I actually do. Uh, I think that uh, when I worked for the legislative council, I worked with members from both parties who had served in the legislature for ten and twenty years. They uh, uh, had become committee chairman. Uh, the chairman I worked for in public health was uh, Senator Stan Stevens, who went on to be a Republican governor. So uh, they had rapport with each other. It was interesting that you'd see legislators that had dramatically different legislative ideologies and agendas, but they became fast friends. They worked across the aisle. Uh, they had spirited debates about the things that they disagreed about, but they actually saw many things that they would find in common. And uh, over the years, uh, they developed a way to work together. Now, uh, when you see people in the legislature, many of them have never even been on a 4-H group. They haven't <laughs> been on the student council. They haven't been in the service club. They actually 
don't like government, and yet they're providing the policy direction for our state government. Yeah, there was a, a lot of that that went on in this last session, and I personally was riled up by a lot of it. That's part of the impetus for, for the show is to get people on so that they can talk about what it is that they want to be doing, because I'm sure even some of the people that I absolutely had issue with are not horrible people in the general sense of it. You know, I, I think there are probably great things that they could bring to the table, but last session was so focused on so many negative things that it, it was uh, outstandingly bad. Right, and, and I'm hopeful that that was the low water mark uh, for the Montana legislature and the energy I see around Montana to change some of the members, both at the uh, House of Representatives and the Senate level, I hope will be successful and will have a new uh, voice for Montana in both the House and the Senate. I hope so too. So you've, uh, I'm failing again, I just said so. <laughs> with the politics that you were in with the 80s, um, you actually helped with several campaigns, correct? I actually uh, was fortunate to help Mike McGrath when he first ran for county attorney. Uh, I also helped uh, uh, Joe Mazurk when he first ran for the Montana Senate. I ended up uh, working on Mike McGrath's campaign against Mark Roscoe for Attorney General in 1988. And that was the last uh, campaign that I was involved in as a campaign organizer and, and campaign manager. And so what made you stop working on campaigns? Uh, you know, it's hard to see uh, one of your dear friends uh, put all of his uh, family resources on the line, work so hard and to lose such a tough race. And I just couldn't, my, my heart was, I had been working on campaigns since one of my friends ran against Bob Dole when I was uh, in high school in 1964 in Topeka, Kansas. I worked uh, with a man named John Burke uh, who uh, uh, ran for uh, Congress against uh, Bob Dole. So I've been working uh, in campaign work since 1964. So. 1964, 1988, that was a long run, and I, I was happy to leave it to the next generation of people to do that work. But primarily, I ended up working in uh, local government uh, in nonpartisan positions, and I really had to put my politics aside and work uh, with the elected officials and on the direction that they gave me for the, the management of the cities that I was pleased to serve. So how was it working in the... In the city of Helena, you started as the budget director, yes? I did. And how is it working as the budget director for a city? And I would guess, I, I, I don't remember particularly, I was a kid, but in the 80s when you would have taken that, 80s, early 90s? Right. Uh, from what I remember, Helena was under the same pressure we're under now. Absolutely. If you think about those times, it was a time where we had double-digit inflation, we had gasoline uh, prices that were approaching the level that we see now, and the city of Helen in particular was coming off of uh, being the beneficiary of model cities and urban renewal, community development block grant entitlements, and those funds were uh, not available mm -hmm. as they had been in the past. They were, thanks to Senator Lee Metcalf and Senator Mansfield, um, both Helena and uh, Butte were beneficiaries of these model city type funds. Uh, so it was a difficult time. The city of uh, Helena had to cut back its budget by almost 20% while I was there. We laid off about 20% of our workforce. We cut our budget back dramatically. We raised every non-tax revenue and we also eliminated uh, several department heads and in fact uh, I recommended the elimination of 
my position by consolidating the budget director with the finance director to have a single administrative services director and actually uh, put myself out of a job and uh, that's how I ended up going to work for the state government. Uh, you I recommended yourself out of a job. I did. Now, how many people do you know would do that? Yeah, actually, at the time that that was occurring, Bill Verwolf was the finance director, and he had been uh, a city manager in Alaska, and he was more senior, and the needs were more specialized. So we kind of we didn't flip a coin, but I thought he was the best to stay, and he went on to become the Helena city manager, and I left, uh, and fortunately landed. Uh, with the Department of Administration and did work as the State Personnel Director, but uh, I always wish that I had had an opportunity to be the Helena City Manager. So it turned out that Bill Verup was our City Manager until the time I was working with Attorney General Zurich. and when he resigned, I told my wife, you know, I'm going to apply for that City Manager job, and I actually was fortunate enough to actually live my dream, but to be the City Manager for here in Helena. Very cool. How long were you the city manager here? I was city manager here for three years. And what in, What three years? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't yesterday. I don't remember. Yeah. So working in politics and then working as – and city management is a tough game. When I, was, when I lived in Phoenix, actually, I worked for the Neighborhood Services Department of the okay, city Okay, you know exactly what it's like. Yeah, and so I know about the deputies and the directors and all the different – bits of red tape that you really have to you can't just plow through you have to respect them they're there for a reason and they're there to help everyone contrary to what everyone believes and uh what was it like stepping into that role after being part of you know these how do you give up your politics i guess is a nice yeah it's it's, it's something that uh it comes with the the profession you know you have to be uh dedicated to democracy. You have to have a commitment to public management. You have to respect diversity. And you leave it to the other people who are elected officials. And in fact, uh, in my case, uh, I have this fervent belief in democracy. And what I used to feel like is every Monday night, you'd understand uh, the hypothesis of democracy. We've been doing this 200, 300, 400 years. But every Monday night, you still ask yourself, of, can we govern ourselves with the modicum of civility? And so I watched us <laughs> struggle, like we do at the legislature, like most city councils do, to find the values and set the direction and have the community debates and try to do it the best way possible. So I left my politics at the door of the city hall, and uh, I was pleased to do it because I was involved in such an important endeavor. That's great. And I think that's an awesome question. How can we still govern with a modicum of respect? Um, I would posit probably not after last year. <laughs> well, my thing is these uh, passions uh, ebb and flow. And while term limits have reduced the, uh, the knowledge base within the legislature itself, I have, uh, we have a way of correcting deficiencies and people emerge and we change some systems. And I actually uh, look forward to a time where there aren't term limits, and I look forward to a time uh, where there's greater strength in the individual legislators and not such a reliance on um, the legislative hallway. Over the years, uh, legislators come and go, but the lobbyist the hallway in the Capitol remains the same. Ah, and yeah. it's really the place where uh, power base and where ideas uh, are 
kept from year to year, and I think that's not a good thing. I think it should be within the people, within the elected officials, and uh, it's we don't have as bad a situation as K Street to Congress, but there's certainly a strong influence uh, of the lobby class um, that almost stands in the way of ordinary citizens having no access to and time with their legislators and to set policy preferences so that they could actually be realized by elected officials. Yeah, there was a lot of, um, and this was the first time as a citizen that I really was invested in making sure that the legislature heard my voice. And there was a lot of times when I felt that they didn't hear my voice and my voice was drowned out by um, organizations. And I understand that those organizations are made up of people who have gotten together and, and they, you know, they in effect become de facto representatives. I still think that they should have made more time for individuals who had taken the time out of their day, especially in this economy, to go up and tell them, you know, this is what I see. And I saw over and over again where they would shut off testimony, where they would not even take the names of people who'd driven, where they'd limit time to two minutes, where they'd tell people, uh, give their name, and people had driven from all over the state. People who live in Helena think, wow, it's a long way to Miles City, but it's even farther to Westby or to Baker or to <laughs> Sydney. And people from all over Montana drive to Helena and then to get here and tell them that they can't give more than their name and their position on a bill uh, flies in the face of the constitutional provision for the people to have a right to know and a right to participate. And I would say that the last legislative session um, that was abused uh, more than any constitutional provision over the years. People just not did not have a right to know much of the information that was passed out just to legislators, not to the public. Uh, decisions were made on short time frames, and in committee after committee, uh, people were not allowed to give their full testimony. The House Judiciary was probably the worst committee, but I saw it in Senate Public Health and in the appropriations process and in many uh, House and Senate committee hearings throughout the whole session. Yeah, there was a, a lot of that that went on. But there were some other interesting things that happened in the last session that were kind of fun, and one of which you were involved with, which is Twitter. Yeah. And and, and Facebook. And I actually met you through Twitter, and I'll include a link to uh, your Twitter on the show notes. But how has technology made things I, I would assume it made it better because I'm a technology freak. So yeah, actually, it's made it decidedly better. First of all, to have television coverage of almost all of the important committee hearings has been a real change. Uh, to have that information available so that you can go back and get it in electronic format and not just do like I, when I was a researcher, research what people said, but to actually see the testimony. Okay, then you have... Uh, more and more information is online, so you can track bills individually through the online tracking system run by the Legislative Services Division. Pretty amazing. You can see the bills, the amendments as they change, uh, so that's uh, really uh, fortunate. Last session, I was working to represent the interests of kids in group homes and uh, kids in foster care. And so I spent most of my time in the appropriations subcommittee room, and if you do that for most of the session, you're stuck in one room from April, I mean, from January until April. Yeah. But because of things like Twitter and Facebook, I got an appreciation for what was going on in other parts of the Capitol, in other committee hearing rooms. Uh, I could follow, even if I was tied up in the Senate, the debate that might be occurring on a particular idea in the House. So it's pretty amazing to have 
all the different people, including many legislators from both parties, sort of uh, tweeting in real time about some of the things that go on in the hallway. When you get involved in the legislature, there's almost like this little closed community of people that are in the Capitol building, and it's a buzz from January until the session ends sometime in April. But to have that available for all the people who are interested in what's going on in Helena, what's going on in our legislature was a new and I think very interesting phenomenon. I think it'll be a, a new way people will have to work going forward. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping the legislative services will put up a couple of screens that literally just have Twitter and follow certain tags so we can yeah. see what's going on. Because it, it was interesting to me, and having lived in several states and, and come back to Montana, and I know our politics are a little bit different than everywhere else, but what was interesting to me was the communication that was happening was happening on both sides. It wasn't just one side saying, you know, we're adopting this technology and the rest of you can forget it. It was both sides embraced it and both sides used it to get information from their constituents, which was so amazing to me. Even though it was a really dark session, I think that a lot more information actually got to the legislators because of these tools that are in place. So I'm kind of impressed. And they would talk to each other through these, uh, both uh, through social media, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I saw discussions going on uh, between individuals that were sitting, you know, farther apart than uh, being able to get up and talk to each other that were going on simultaneously during a second reading floor debate. Right. And I so I think it, it did some pretty marvelous things, and I'm looking forward to uh, what it can do next. What I'm more impressed with is that it doesn't, you didn't seem to have any fear. And I know a lot of people, when new technology comes along, they're like, oh, I don't know what this is. I don't like it. Um, you seem to embrace it from the get-go and kind of run with it. Your tweets were some of the best of the session. So. <laughs> well, thank you. I, it's, to me, it was just, uh, it's 140 characters, uh, characters so it's a way uh, to use your mind and to tell a quick little story in real time or just to be uh, able to, uh, when I retired, my wife was afraid I might uh, write a letter to the editor uh, too frequently or stand on the street <laughs> corner like people I knew in Missoula and yell at cars as they go by. So in some respects, um, I, I think of being able to have a ability to give your point of view through uh, a single tweet is a way uh, t to have a voice and also to use your mind, you know. And I actually appreciate other people who are either clever or informative or keep you uh, apprised of opportunities to learn something that you just don't know. Very cool. So what do you hope that is, I mean, we talked a little bit about your past with politics and it's pretty deep. What do you hope is going to come up now? I mean, you retired. Are you still going to lobby? Are you? I don't think I'll lobby per se. Uh, I'm actually at a point in my life where I think it's better done by people who can give the energy and time to do it. But I am going to be involved in the larger conversation in our community. I'm personally interested in seeing the adoption of a uh, anti-discrimination ordinance here in the city of of Helena, much like they did in Missoula, and like when I was able to administer when I was in Eugene. I'm, I'm deeply concerned about the rise of the super PACs and the influence of, of uh, money, uh, large corporate and individual contributions that distort our political debate. Uh, I'd like to spend some time thinking about ways that we could uh, do something about that. I've been involved uh, with the uh, 
ACLU of Montana, so I'm enjoying helping people protect their First Amendment rights and to deal with some of the problems that occur in our jails and our state prison with the over-incarceration and some of the inequities in terms of who is in prison and how long they serve and some of the issues of injustice. So. I have all my experience and I have all my energy, but I want to focus it on things that get less attention now, uh, where the where the need for volunteers and for a voice is stronger. That's great. You've uh, obviously made a big impact in in politics, and and everybody that I've met that I, I got to talk to a bunch of people this last week, I was like, yeah, Dennis decided he's going to be on the show. Yeah, and and they were like, oh, that's great. You know, he's awesome. And I don't think I've ever met anybody. Or, or, or talked about anyone, or found out about someone. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yes, I do. Um, I've never really not met someone, uh, you know, going into meeting you, I was, you know, I don't know you very well, so I did a little research. And the little research that I found was everybody really liked you. And uh, seeing as how you've been on both sides of, of politics, both, you know, actively politicking and then in the, no, I'm just doing what, I'm, what we have to do, that's pretty amazing to me. And, and for being in politics as long as you have been, I'm a little bit um, shocked, actually. <laughs> what, <laughs> that, that I'm not cynical and well, jaded? <laughs> uh, yeah, because, hey, I've only been in politics for two years, and I've got cynicism and jade. I, uh, <laughs> two piles. You know, I, from my earliest memory as a high school kid, I you know, went to the highway model legislature. I went to Boise State. Uh, I was involved in this uh, congressional race when my friend's father ran for Congress in the 60s. Uh, I was involved and deeply touched by the civil rights struggles in our country. And uh, I actually served in Vietnam uh, and was wounded, and so that experience uh, informs my concern. But mainly, I've been interested in public service. And I look back on my 40 years of public service with great pride. And, you know, at a time where people are vilified for working in state and local government, for being teachers, for being firefighters, for being police officers. I think that's a sad commentary on where we are right now. But for me, for, for my 40 years and probably my uh, 50 or 60 years in active politics, well, not 60 years, but certainly uh, 50 years, I've never regretted a moment of my service or my activity and I encourage everyone to get involved it's never too late and it's never too early that's great so where do you think some of that uh public animosity is coming from is it a is it a change in our society is it just a, a backlash from where we were going or is it just the final dra- i have my own theory that it's the final drags the final scream of a dying beast basically that you know, we we have uh, gay rights is coming up, and and we will get to the point where gay marriage and is equal marriage, and um, hopefully that non discrimination ordinance that we that we're going to try to pass here in Helena becomes the law of the land in the the country. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me for it not to be. Um, I have personal reasons for that, but where I see this backlash that's coming right now, and it's literally because we're demanding our rights, or at least I think it's because we're demanding our rights, and then the people who just don't understand us are thinking that we're taking something from them. Yeah, part of it is the change in the way people get information. Hmm. The 1988 race was the first time where I started to see national 
campaign um, language and wedge issues become uh, important in Montana. And it's about the same time that even if you were driving on the High Line, you'd see uh, people with their Montana poppies in those days, a dish that would bring them national coverage. So in many ways, the local debate is being framed by money and by media and not by conversations at the local level. So mm -hmm. that's changed uh, since the 70s, 60s, 70s, but really in the 80s, money and media started to change and the grassroots door-to-door -door sort of retail politics became harder. Um, so that, I think that's one of the concerns that I have and why things are changing. The other part is I think we're in a difficult economic times and when people's economies are changing and even what is the nature of what is the important work in a society, people feel personally threatened. And we see major shifts in the 21st century in terms of moving to a service economy. We see many people who have worked hard to go to college and get advanced degrees and then not be able to be employed. So you have a generation who are deeply in debt and with school loans and, and maybe have even purchased their first home and to see their equity in their home diminished to have uh, three or four or sometimes five or six years without work in the prime of their employment life, to have so many returning servicemen and women who are coming back uh, having served in combat, you know, three, sometimes four times and coming back to no jobs and unemployment. All of those, uh, I don't think, help the kind of spirited debate we we will have in our country because people are really uh, challenged in this economy. That's why this whole discussion about jobs and the economy seems much more important to me than the kinds of discussion we've had. Uh, really, you don't think atlatls are important? <laughs> no. You know, just to, I, I'm, I'm actually shocked that uh, Doonesbury cartoons are pulled from all of the Montana newspapers, but Rush Limbaugh, Limbaugh and his hateful speech is on the air every day. Yeah, it's, uh, well, hopefully I'll be replacing him soon. That's, Wonderful. That's, <laughs> that's what this show is about. Um, there's so much that happens with the, the politics at the local level that is tied up with national issues. And that, I think it's funny, I was talking to another friend of mine who was on the show, um, and, or has agreed to be on the show, actually, isn't on the show yet, come to think of it. Um, and we were talking about, you know, one particular issue, and he had said, you know, this is very close to my heart, and it happens to be, he happens to be on the other side of the marriage issue. Uh -huh. um, and trying to persuade him that <laughs> him having to enforce his religious beliefs on me is probably a bad idea, because I'll then feel obligated to enforce mine on him, and I have a religious belief that lawyers should have to give up all of their revenue <laughs> and taxes. And it's right there in my book. I'll show it to okay. you. And uh, having that, having said that, he kind of backed off. But it's interesting that we have this debate that in Montana, that sort of thing is so far out of whack because we've already got a constitutional amendment in Montana that we'd have to overcome in the first place. And it's years down the road. It's, it's something we'll get to, but it's not something to worry about right now. And I don't understand why that was the first thing that came to his mind when you know mm -hmm. I was talking about him running. So it, it is interesting that we are framing our local debates for local races on national issues that we really have no impact on, or very little direct impact on, especially coming from such a, slow, a small populace. You know, even, even with our uh, uh, voter past 
uh, amendment to the Constitution, we still have quite a grassroots effort working on partner recognition, and there's some really encouraging, you know, at the community level, uh, work being done on ideas that uh, didn't get a fair voice in the legislature. So. I still believe, you know, if the legislature is a stumbling block, then the people use the ballot box, they use the initiative and referendum process. And so I think we have some spirited debates to go. And I actually am encouraged because of the, the work that I see being done at the local level and the regional level to get people involved, to, to have discussions about the pros and cons. Last year, there was a great forum here in Helena about the issues around uh, physician-assisted dying. Uh, I've seen great discussions uh, about the death penalty and our need to abolish the death penalty in Montana. And those were usually conducted at the community level by victims' parents, by victims' uh, families, uh, by church groups, by uh, people from uh, across the political spectrum, spectrum working together. So, you know, I... I, I I do think it's been a difficult time, and like I said, I hope the last legislature was the low watermark for uh, not involving or listening to the citizens of Montana, but I'm encouraged that we'll improve going forward. It'd be nice if we did. With your retirement, what do you? What are you going to be doing this next session? Just uh, I'm gonna, leaving the <laughs> I'll probably be following it uh, individually, but I won't be advocating for any uh, particular clients. Uh, I was always able to speak on behalf of the state government that or, that I was employed by in the different agencies or for the cities that I was working for. Last session I worked uh, as a paid lobbyist for these children and family groups, but uh, I think that, uh, again, what I say uh, through my public voice affects my clients where if I'm retired and I just speak for myself, then I feel like my voice is freer to speak out on some things that people don't speak out as much on or as fervently as I would like to be involved going forward. So I'm going to put a lot of my energy into my work with ACLU Montana and with my work on the Cooperative Health Center Board trying to see how we can successfully improve health care in our community. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Cooperative Health Center. It's set up under the Affordable Care Act. Well, actually, it came before the Affordable oh. Care Act. It's a federally qualified health center. And basically, people without health insurance, people on Medicaid or Medicare, people who have insurance are all welcome to come. What it provides is a place where primary care can uh, be provided. And it's been in Helena for for almost 20 years. Uh, it has a strong, stable primary care infrastructure. We have uh, another part of our organization in Lincoln, Montana. And you'll find uh, federally qualified health centers in most uh, Montana cities. So that's a nodule of um, care for medically indigent and for primary care that has been expanded under the Affordable Care Act, and it's part of the strategy of how we're going to be able to absorb, uh, you know, 50 million people uh, who are currently without any health care coverage across the nation. And so this is just one small part of a larger strategy to put an infrastructure 
uh, and to improve access to healthcare for people all across Montana and the nation. Hmm. That's very interesting. Um, I have my own <laughs> complaints with the healthcare industry. I think it's a, a ridiculous industry, quite honestly. But uh, that's for another show because <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's like seventeen hours of me just losing my mind. Um, if, and then your work with the ACLU is for equality and. Well, just defending uh, people's liberties, uh, making sure that the Montana Constitution and the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights are understood and upheld, from working with local libraries to uh, deal with the problem of banned books uh, to... Uh, do we ban books in this state? We still do. Oh. It was just a, um, an effort recently in Geraldine, Montana, to take a, a wonderful book... Uh, by Alexis Smith, or what's, what's his name? I can't remember his name now, but a uh, great Native American writer uh, that uh, his work resonates with young people. So we have uh, banned books. When I was on the library board, uh, there were efforts to take our bodies, ourselves, off the shelves. A, a, a book that. Wasn't, the, wasn't there an effort to remove um, Free to Be You and Me at one point? Yes. You know, so, you know, it's just so from bad books to uh, the treatment of uh, of a minor with mental illness in the state prison. Uh, those are the kinds of issues that we've been involved with uh, working uh, with the Fair is Fair campaign uh, to promote greater uh, equality and uh, non-discrimination all across uh, Montana, working with the partnership recognition efforts uh, working for uh, non-discrimination ordinances across the state. Very cool. So it sounds like you've done a ton for our community, and um, even the people who don't agree with your politics particularly should still be able to recognize that you've done a lot for us. And and it's really great that you're still involved in politics, even though you're, quote-unquote, I need to get the air quotes out, of <laughs> <laughs> retired. Um, what would you say to somebody that's just... You know, starting out, somebody out of high school interested in politics, and, and I was thinking about this because um, we have a couple of political families in town, the Hunthausens being one of the, right. the larger ones, um, and Sam Hunthausen has put his name in the ring for uh, uh, House District, I believe. Yeah, I don't know that. That's and, great. Um, he just graduated from Carroll, you know, it seems like, a, you know, like everybody in the family, very bright. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, you have these political families, but what do you say to somebody who's never been in those political families and is interested in politics? What should they do first? Just get involved. Talk to your uh, elected officials. Talk to your city manager. Uh, I remember when I was first in Montana, I was working on Charlie Sorensen's Social Security problems, and I was talking to Mike Mansfield. He was here back from, he was this, he was the, uh, majority leader in the Senate, but he was there working on Charlie's uh, issues right here in Montana. So our politicians, whether it's the governor or your individual legislator, our U.S. senators, our House of Representatives, they're accessible. We know them by their first name. They actually are people you can see out and about in Montana, even more so for people in the legislature, on the city council, on the school board. Um, when I wanted to do something, I wasn't just a spectator, I was a participant. So if I wanted to be on the library board, I'd applied sometimes three or four times and was selected. Every day uh, there is a local government position that's looking for somebody who wants to be on the planning board or wants to be on the zoning board who needs help and all you need to do is fill it out and get involved. 
I spent 10 years on the Helena City Citizens Council. That's another place where young people can get involved right out of the blocks and learn about their neighborhood and participate at the community level. So there, there are more places to get involved. Uh, everybody running for office could use somebody that would knock on doors, fold envelopes, uh, <laughs> raise money. There's plenty to do. All you have to do is get, in, get involved. Go find someone and make it happen. And the last thing is, uh, every year I've worked uh, to, you know, every two years I've worked to help get young people involved in voting. And every year we have great efforts to get out to vote. And yet it's always the older people my age and older who vote in greater number than the younger people in um, our time, almost all of my adult life. And I keep thinking if young people actually got involved and made their voices heard, and cast their votes, we'd have a dramatic change in the Montana legislature and a dramatic change in Congress. And they're an important, um, underrepresented, uh, you know, constituency in this country and in this next election. So I encourage young people to work hard for the candidate of your choice and to be sure to vote in this next election because it's so important. And so with that, I don't really have anything else. Any other final notes for people? That's it. All right. Well, thank you very much for being here and for joining us on the show. Everybody, I will have links to uh, Dennis's Twitter and your Facebook, Facebook as well. And uh, if you have any other questions, you can send us an email. Thanks for joining us. Politics is